Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you. Welcome to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach from the pulpits of the three churches I serve in Camden County, North Carolina, are uploaded for you to listen to. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and we are finishing up our August sermon series on lessons that we can learn from the Andy Griffith Show uh, on this particular sermon. Our uh, episode that we watched as a community together is my personal favorite, uh, the sermon for today. And the gospel text that the sermon was based upon uh, comes from Luke's gospel, uh, the 14th chapter, verses 28 through 32. So if you want to hit your pause button, now might be a good time to do that, to go watch the sermon for today of the Andy Griffith Show and take a quick look at Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 32. God bless. The sermon for today is one of my favorite, actually is my very favorite episode of the Andy Griffith Show because it does allow us to visit the All Souls Church, the church there in Mayberry, led for years by the humble and loving Reverend Hobart M. Tucker. As this Sunday begins, as many Sundays begin for those on their way to worship, with the question of what am I going to wear? And don't you just love Aunt B's telephone discussion that she has with Miss Clara about earrings? We hear Aunt B saying, well, do you think they're too much? And then there's some chatter on the other end. And then Aunt B says, well, of course it is Sunday, but this preacher's from New York. And there's more chatter from Miss Claire on the other end. And Aunt B says, well, I haven't been there either, but I always imagined them with earrings. Andy finally suggests sarcastically, play it safe and wear one. We laugh because all of us, men and women, have asked the question, uh, what do I wear to worship? Could it be that we're overly concerned about what we're wearing on the outside and concerned far too little with what we're wearing on the inside? We get our outfits, earrings and all, in order, but too often we come into God's presence with shabbily dressed hearts. We wear our best on the outside, but on the inside, we wear our pride and prejudice, our jealousy and anger, and our unconfessed sins. It'd be best for us to remember the inner dress code of Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4, that says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. To God, your outlook matters more than your outfit. What you carry in your heart matters more than what you're wearing on your body. Well, Andy and his family finally do get to church, and we get to join them in worship. Our glimpses of that worship service remind us all that, as the Apostle Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is, we bring our humanity with us to church. We see Aunt B and her friend across the aisle exchange silent compliments on each other's hats. We see Barney lose his place in the hymn book. We see Barney almost applaud when the guest minister is introduced. When the message begins, as the minister is posing the question, what is the meaning of it all, we see Opie busily tracking down a pesky fly and finally catching it in his hand. We see Gomer slipping off into sleep and actually beginning to snore. And we see Barney almost join him a little bit later. These funny moments in worship, funny to us because we've either seen or done them all ourselves, remind us that while God has called us to sing a heavenly song, we will always sing it in very human voices. The life of the church will always be fulfilling and frustrating at the same time because we bring our humanity to church. Yes, we do have the treasure of the gospel in very earthen vessels, but we should be thankful that we are the kind of vessels that God has chosen to use.
The guest minister at the All Souls Church this morning, a personal friend of Dr. Tucker's, is the famous preacher and author, Dr. Harrison Everett Breen of New York City. What do you remember about his message? Perhaps that it lasted about two minutes? Or you may have noticed that he had no biblical text. He didn't read from Scripture. He just got to the pulpit and started his message. The title was, What's Your Hurry? Dr. Breen's message challenged the hearer to escape the thoughtless hustle and bustle of life, to enjoy life's simple pleasures, and to ask life's deeper questions. That was the essence of his sermon. But what was the message of Dr. Breen's life? Was his way of life consistent with his sermon? Did his walk match his talk? One of the benefits of seeing these episodes over and over and over again is that I do start to find myself uh, finding things I didn't necessarily notice before. And so allow me to hearken back to my former profession and submit the following to the following evidence to you, the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that no, Dr. Breen's life did not match the message of his sermon. Piece of evidence number one, and talk, according to Reverend Tucker, Dr. Breen interrupted his vacation to come to Mayberry to preach. Piece of evidence number two, when asked to eat Sunday lunch with the Taylors, he replied that he couldn't because he had promised to drive over to Mount Pilate that afternoon to preach another sermon. He offers instead to join them later for coffee. And finally, the third piece of evidence is that at the end of the episode, when he finally does come by the Taylor home for coffee, he can't even do that because why? Because he has to rush back to New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Breen's sermon was stop, relax, and reflect. But the message of his life was hurry, hurry, hurry. Think about what the Mayberry folks did that Sunday afternoon. Yeah, they talked about what Dr. Breen had said, but they did exactly what he did. In sad irony, they totally exhausted themselves in pursuit of relaxation. You know the old saying of what you do shout so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying? Well, we must realize as Christians is that in the ears and the hearts and even the eyes of others, we are the message. The heart of the gospel, the miracle of the incarnation is that the word became flesh. It's right there in John chapter 1. All that God had done to redeem us, reclaim us, and make us his own. All the love in his heart, all his plans for our future, all his wisdom for our lives became a living, breathing human being in whom we could see God's glory. The life of Jesus was an unrepeatable miracle. But in another sense, God wants the miracle of the incarnation to continue through the church. He wants his truth, his wisdom, his love to become flesh and blood in your life and mine so that people can see his glory. We are the message. No matter what you are saying or singing or preaching, people look at your life and mine and ask, is this what happens when you give your life to God? So let me ask you this, if that is true, when they look at you, do they see a walking hallelujah? Or do they walk away disillusioned and confused because your walk doesn't match your talk? There's a poem by Edgar A. Guest that I came across this week. And it says this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. 
I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Friends, we are the message. So let's think about what we can learn from the Sunday afternoon inspiration that led our Mayberry friends to attempt to have a band concert that evening. They were sincere. They were motivated. After all, they'd been pumped up by a sermon imported all the way from New York City. But they weren't realistic. Concerts don't happen in a few hours. They failed because they failed to count the cost of what they wanted to do and failed to be prepared. Likewise, large and very excited crowds were following Jesus. And he told them two very powerful little stories in our gospel lesson that we read this morning. Jesus teaches us that before you build a tower, you count the cost carefully to see if you've got what it takes to finish the job. Before you go to war, you carefully consider whether you have the troops you need to face and overcome your foe. In the same way, count the cost, Jesus says, before you follow him. Jesus isn't against enthusiasm. He gives it. He isn't against zeal for his work. He inspires it. But he does want us to know the joy of completing what we set out to do for him. And that's why he knows it won't be easy. Jesus knows that you don't have a community band concert on just a few hours of notice. Because we live in a world where there are, as Barney and Gomer discovered, spiders under the bandstand. Little pesky things that bite at you while you try to get God's work done. We live in a world where uniforms mildew and fall apart when not worn for a long time, where you just can't pull your faith off the shelf and wear it when you're ready or when it's convenient. Jesus knew that we spend so much time, like Clara, playing the game of I told you so and don't blame me, that real progress in our walk with him is an uphill climb. Jesus knew that you can't take a bunch of guys, including a saxophone player that can't have here, and instantly make beautiful music. You must know the song for yourself and then work out how to bring the parts together to make the fullness of music which no musician can make alone. Yeah, the folks in Mayberry could have scheduled a concert for that Sunday night, but if they had regularly practiced their music and kept their uniforms and kept the bandstand in good condition. When our moments of opportunity come, we can be a concert, a symphony of praise that will draw others into the presence of Christ, but only if we have counted the cost and paid the daily price of being ready, of practicing and exercising our spiritual muscles through prayer and devotions and Bible study and worship, of knowing the gospel for ourselves and then joining with others in our community to spread the good news and serve our fellow man. This is why we spent all of July talking about discipleship. To truly enjoy the benefits and fruits of a relationship with Christ Jesus, we have got to pay the daily price of being ready, of being prepared. 
We cannot let our own spirituality, our own discipleship be so unused and unpracticed on a daily basis that it becomes mildewed like those band uniforms or broken and worthless like that band stand or an indecipherable mess like that band practice. When we walk out and become the message, we have to be willing to count the cost. We have to be willing to pay the price. And then we're not only ready to go to church, we're ready to be the church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Until next week, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. God bless.